right, what is happening? What is going on? All right, let's get into it. A couple things to go over today, but uh, I want to start off with public systems. It's uh, something we've talked about lately and something I want to go into a little bit more detail about. Why is it not profitable to use public systems? Because there's a lot of very, very good public systems out there. And let's let's face it, there's a lot of bad public systems as well. But like, uh, uh, if you pay a subscription... You know, I think a lot of people out there think that if you pay a certain amount per month, because you're paying a subscription, you're going to have access to data that is going to allow you to win or win more. And that's generally, overwhelmingly not going to be the case. And it's especially not going to be the case if that's available for over like like three-fourths of a season to an entire year. So if there's a program that's been around for more than one season... I think it's fair to say that none of them are profitable for this very reason. If a paid system, if a, I'm just going to pull one, actually, let's not even use examples. If any paid system out there or paid data collection service, because there's some uh, uh, subscription-based places out there where you can pay to get access to data, you can get access to advanced statistics, not necessarily picks and predictions, just more stats. So whatever it is, whether people are selling picks, whether they're selling futures or selling spreads or over-unders, things like that, or they're just giving data away, if you're paying for something that would let you win more, that means that by definition, that's more powerful or better than what's available in the market. And we know that's or, or the most available to those betting into the market. And we know that's not the case because if there was a public system that were good enough to move lines and that were better than what we see right now in the sports betting market, it wouldn't take long for the actual betting market to catch up to whatever public system that might be. You see, the, the sports betting market in general does not have an ego. There is no right or wrong. If there's something out there, anything out there that's public, whether it's paid or free, and it's doing better than the sports betting market's currently doing, the the market will adapt to that system very quickly. And when we talk about the sports betting market, that involves, it's it's pretty complex, right? That involves the bookmakers opening the lines up, but the, the market is generally dictated by those betting in to the these lines. And so the market's dictated by sports betters, not necessarily by bookies. Bookies are managing the line. Sports betters are the ones influencing the line, aka influencing the market. And we're talking about very successful syndicates, people, groups of betters who have been doing this for decades. You know, the idea that I've gone back to school, I'm a data scientist, I'm trying to compete at a high level with this like math and these programming uh, approach to sports betting. I don't have the same stuff a lot of these advanced people have. And it's teams of 5, 10, 15, 20 people who have these kind of skills who are teaming up together. So there's syndicates and really powerful people in the sports betting market who have great information. And so if, if if the Packers open up minus, you know, three, and these very, very smart people think the Packers should be minus five, they're going to bet Green Bay up to four or four and a half. That's how the efficiency in a market works. Or I maybe should say that's how markets become efficient, but we'll get there. We'll get there in a little bit on, on today's kind of second point. But in, in general, that's sort of what the market is. When we refer to the market, that's what the market is. So if there was a public system out there, no matter what it is, whether it's a small little website or it's a very public website, it wouldn't take long for the betting market to adapt to that, realize that, and change their strategy to adapt to whatever that public system is. There's actually proof of this. If you've heard of KenPalm.com, this is the college basketball analytics website. They conglomerate data. They come up with all kinds of great 
uh, numbers and advanced stats. They actually make their own predictions for each game. And what you what what we've seen over the last couple of years is Ken Palm for a while there was actually better than the sports betting market. And so people found this out. People clinged on to, to Ken Palm and would pay the very, very affordable yearly cost and would start betting with Ken Palm numbers. It didn't take long for the Ken Palm numbers to just become the openers because bookies were noticing what was happening. Other sports bettors was noticing what was happening. And what was happening was all these lines were getting bet into whatever the Ken Palm number said it should be. So bookies are like, okay, this is the way more efficient than our opening numbers. We'll just make it this. So now Ken Palm is essentially irrelevant because everyone uses it. Now, I'm not saying it it's shouldn't be used. I think if you're going to buy college basketball, you still should use Ken Palm in addition to other things, though. Right. So that's why public systems, by definition, aren't going to be good, because if they are good enough or better than the sports betting market, it won't take long at all for people to notice the betting market to adapt. And those systems will quickly become irrelevant. So if you think you found a good system and you swear by it, by definition, if it's not brand new, it's not good. And if if it's been good for a short amount of time, just give it a long amount of time. Give it one or two seasons and you'll start to see the diminishing returns with anything like that. So that's why public systems in general are not going to be profitable or worth it if it's a paid system. So that's the first thing to go over today. The second thing is betting favorites and betting underdogs. I was having a conversation with my buddy who asked me, is it more favorable or more favorable? Is it more profitable to bet on favorites? Is it more more profitable to bet on underdogs? Like at the end of the season, if you only bet teams that were plus 800 to plus 1200, how would you do compared to betting all teams who were minus 800 to minus 1200 or all different kinds of betting, you know, corridors that we could look at the the, the prices in. And it was a really interesting question because I, I don't know if people think about this a lot, but it's something to where it is uh, maybe not common sense for a lot of people. And the answer to that question is there is no one price that's going to make you more uh, more money or money quicker. It's all about the expected value. And at the end of the day, a lot of these bets are going to have pretty similar expected value for the bets we find value on. And so it doesn't matter whether a bet's minus 250 or plus 250, that's not going to make a difference because at the end of the day, like we've said, like we say a lot on this show, when you execute a bet and you make a bet, it's all about one thing. Really, it's, it's, it's one simple thing you have to answer. What should the price be and what are they charging? So if the price should be minus 300 and the sports betting market's you know, charging minus 250 or the, the sports book you bet with is charging minus 250, that's by definition a good bet. That is a, a worthwhile bet. It's worth your time. It's a winning bet. Now, you may win that bet. You may lose that bet. But over time, that's a winning profitable bet. If you have a bet that should be plus 300 and it's plus 250, that's a bad bet, right? Because it should be plus 300, you're not getting a good price. If the if if the line should be plus 300 and they're charging plus 350, that's now a good bet. You see? So, it doesn't matter really what the price is. Now you may say, but is there a line that's more efficient? Right? Because the efficiency in the market is what by it, that's what makes it so difficult for everyone out there to win. If the market weren't efficient, it would be so much more people would win way more consistently. Think about it. If 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 the it's about the line being right, right? I mean, and, and there is no right or wrong necessarily, but there is theoretically with math and the approach, and honestly with the outcomes. So, but my point is, before the game, you don't know the outcome. So, the closer that we can get, or the sports betting market can get to the best line 
or to the most precise prediction of what the outcome is going to be, the harder it's going to be to win in that sport. And when you look at sports like the NFL, NBA, it's going to finish right around 50% for the wins and losses for anything, whether it's spreads or over-unders or money lines. It's all going to be like break-even. So let's say like in, in the NBA, going back last season, this is what I did recently looking at some numbers. I don't have it directly in front of me, but let's say there were, you know, I, I don't know, like like 5,000 games played last year, which that may be a crazy number, but let, let's say there were 1,000 games played, okay? So 1,000 games played, it was like 501, the favorite one, and then 499, the underdog one, right? No one betting minus 110 is going to win if you're betting every game that way, right? That's what that's what efficiency means. What is the What is the outcome compared to the pregame line. And honestly, the, the the sports betting market is so hyper efficient. You should know by now if you've if you've lost a little bit of money, like how hard it is to win. That's why. That's precisely why. That's why betting early is so important because the more the lines get more efficient, aka more correct, hammered in a line, hammered in a place, the tougher it is to win. Think about it. If lines weren't efficient, Half of the bets for any given game, assuming the action's 50-50, half of the bets for any given game would be really good, profitable bets. You know, if the line should be three and the line is seven, <laughs> everyone who has the, uh, the, the underdog is going to have a great bet, a great line. You know, but that doesn't happen. Most of the time, it's going to be 50-50 and no one's going to have a good line because the line should be three. The line is three and they're charging minus 110. So that's where people get killed. So... It's funny. It doesn't matter whether you look at minus 110s, minus 150s, minus 200s, minus 500s, or plus 110, plus 200, plus 500, whatever. All of these lines at the end of any given chunk of time will prove to be not profitable compared to the other lines, right? So you can't say, oh man, if we bet all the minus 150s. Now, if you look at a small window, you can find this stuff because sample size, but once you get like a couple seasons or a long enough, good enough chunk of data, you're going to see that there are no lines that provide more value than others. There is no no use betting, or it's not better to bet a minus 150 than a plus 150. These things don't exist. However, I do want to put one thing out there. This is talking about long-term over the course of a lot of different bets. And most people who like listen to this show don't think that way because most people don't have a huge bankroll. It's about a few dollars here, a few dollars there. A lot of you maybe put in a certain amount per month and once you lose it, it's gone. So it's different for that, right? Because I think if you're in that mindset and that state with your money and your sports betting philosophy and approach, I I think there are lines actually that are better. Now, let me explain myself mathematically, for those who really get into math and understand this, that's not what I'm talking about, right? Mathematically, there are no advantages or disadvantages for any different lines. But if you're down to your last 50 bucks, I would much rather take a team that's minus 130 than is uh, plus 130, right? And you can even expand that. I'd rather take a team that's minus... Well, let's use an example today, like uh, in the MLB, okay? MLB starts back up today after the All-Star break. The Texas Rangers are currently minus 135, I like that bet. I bet it tonight. I'm not giving it as part of the show, just letting you know. But I, if I were down to my last like 50 bucks, I would like that game so much more than an underdog because Texas, I have about minus 165. Like I think that line's pretty wrong, right? So I have Texas winning over 60% of the time and I'm getting a good price for the favorite. I would much rather have that if I'm down to my last 50 than a team I think is going to win 
25% of the time, but the market's charging as if they're only going to win 20% of the time, right? That 5% in general would be a great bet for anyone out there as a pro or if you do have some cash. That 5% edge is huge. But you're taking a team that you still is only gonna that you still are projecting to only win 25% of the time. So I do think there's a difference. If you're down to your last couple bucks, it does make a difference. You're taking a team because think about it, value is value, right? And so if if we think that the line should be plus 800 and they're charging plus 1200, that's a great bet. But by definition, we still don't think that plus 800 is going to come in a lot. And if you really want that money and need that win, I wouldn't bet that because you're betting a team you still think is going to lose even though the value is there. So that's why it's an interesting approach. And it's kind of a conversation that's it's, it's more of a philosophical conversation when it comes down to your money. Now, mathematically, it's not. But when it comes down to your money, it is. So interesting topic there. All right, that does it for today's show. Appreciate everyone listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on Sports Betting Daily.